Hey everyone, today's episode features a guest host, Tabby Wells, who's one of the hosts of Dragons and Flagons, a chaotic neutral podcast. At the time we recorded our episode, her podcast was still titled Nerd Alert. We'll put the correct name of her show in our show notes, but you'll hear us reference their old title a few times during the episode. I hope it's not too confusing. Just think Dragons and Flagons every time we say Nerd Alert, and you'll be all set. Violent depictions of women being beaten, raped, and run over by cars. It's not the movies, it's video games. And now the women calling for change in this multi-billion dollar virtual industry are facing a very real backlash, including death threats. You're listening to Don't Repeat This, a podcast where we discuss the kinds of topics you're not supposed to bring up at the dinner table. Um, I'm Nate. I'm Vicky. And um, Gail is out uh, training her dragon, so unfortunately she won't be joining us for this episode. Um, <laughs> however, filling her chair today is uh, a good friend of mine, Tabby Wells, a Canadian journalist and co-host of the podcast Nerd, Nerd Alert. So uh, before we dive into today's topic, um, Tabby, I want to give you a, a minute or two to kind of just talk about what you're up to. Yeah, so um, Nerd Alert will hopefully be out by the time this episode is airing um, in November. Should be available on any place that you listen to podcasts where we basically talk about anything to do with nerdism. Um, not strictly video gaming, but we'll talk about everything from video gaming and regular nerd culture to some of the more serious topics around um, nerd culture, which will probably tie in with a lot of what we're talking about today with Gamergate. Exactly. And Tabby just gave us a little, uh, a little preview of our topic today. So today we are talking about Gamergate. Um, and for those of you who are like in like immediately feeling like this is not a topic for you, uh, just hold on. There is a reason <laughs> that we're talking about Gamergate on this podcast. And it, it, it does tie in and you'll probably be able to tell from the title of the show, it does tie into what has happened and what is happening currently um, in the U.S. And, and possibly even outside our own country. So um, I will give like a little rundown of um, some of the stuff that I was reading and researching um, on Gamergate. So it actually started before the Gamergate hashtag even um, first appeared. Uh Back in May 2012, um, Anita Sarkeesian, who's the host of the Feminist Frequency podcast, um, she started a crowdfunding campaign for a web documentary series um, called Tropes Versus Women in Video Games. Um, and in that show, she analyzes the various sexist and misogynist themes and ideas at the heart of video games and um, kind of the video game culture at large. Um she had a, a, an initial goal of $6,000 and blew past that, raising almost $156,000. Um, but despite all of the excitement surrounding her work, um, it was met with a barrage of hateful, vitriolic, um, and threatening messages. And in fact, if you go check out her web series now, the dislikes far outweigh uh, the likes on on the video, even like even though it's great production quality, and I think her content is fantastic, um, it kind of goes to show how strong internet trolling can be. So, some people called those attacks on Sarkeesian um, the end uh, or the decline of civil discourse. Um, 
and that's how how CNET kind of put it in their article as as they were an- analyzing Gamergate. Um, what happened in 2012 and 2013 was that internet harassers, um, mostly anonymous discovered that they could actually use the internet as a weapon to destroy the lives of people that they disagree with. So Sarkeesian uh, received a number of death threats, rape threats, and was even doxxed. Um, to define that a little bit real quick, doxing is this practice of taking somebody's private information and making it public. So like their home address, um, their real name if they've been uh, living on the internet under an alias, um, family members, uh, workplace, etc. Uh, so that went that was published, and uh, there were some on websites like 4chan or 8chan that uh, suggested that somebody go to her parents' house and kill them, too. So fast forward from that a little bit to August 2014, and there was a programmer who published a very long and self-dramatizing blog post kind of detailing the end of his relationship with indie game developer Zoe Quinn. Um, And Quinn had recently released a game called Depression Quest. Um, It's a fascinating game. Uh, The game itself, as far as video games go, um, wasn't super successful at, I think, what it was trying to accomplish um, in terms of uh, gaming, but in terms of a larger conversation and, and something that it was opening up, I think it was a- extremely successful. And from what I understand and what I read was, uh, was very well received and highly lauded for, um, tackling a, uh, a very difficult yet pressing topic. Um, this guy's blog post went into great detail about how Quinn had cheated, um, on him with, um, this video game journalist, Um, in exchange for a favorable review of her game. Despite the fact that that publication, which I think it was Kotaku, um, they never even reviewed the game. Somehow that accusation stuck, and that's where the hashtag Gamergate was formed. The Gamergaters claimed to be most concerned about quote-unquote ethics in gaming journalism, but if you look at everything that's associated with that hashtag, um, there is nothing about ethics in gaming journalism there. It was harassment and threatening of Quinn and other women in the video game industry. So uh, there were a number of other prominent targets um, of Gamergate, including Brianna uh, Brianna Wu, who's a, uh, a video game developer, um, the actor Felicia Day, um, the tech writer Lee Alexander, and countless other women in uh, in the gaming industry. The turn here is that all of these practices were, I think, an audition maybe for or a, or a trial run for what we began to see in 2016 with the rise of the alt-right and Donald Trump. I mean, the connecting points are kind of obvious. Like you have Mike Cernovich who started with kind of like critiquing, I say, attacking women in in the video game industry and then moved on to attacking Hillary Clinton and women in politics. Milo Yiannopoulos is often talked about as the one who made the jump, who was very influential in the Gamergate movement. He was groomed by Steve Bannon, who eventually made his way on to an advisor in the advisory position in the White House. So yeah, I think I'll leave the history there. 
But Vicky, did you want to kind of weigh in a little bit? Yeah. I mean, in terms of like being someone who likes video games and also being someone who just happened to be a lady, <laughs> I a lot of the criticism to me, it sounds very, uh, it's like a thinly veiled, like just sexism. So what a lot of what they're saying, it seems to be they're imposing their social justice warrior views onto our art form. And it's not really fair for them to, for them being women um, to do that because it's our art form and we're welcome to criticize it however we want. But like the difference is you can criticize whatever you want without like making death threats. And also like every art form out there, um, you know, can be criticized, but criticism of art in general is often in stark contrast to the general public opinion. So like, for example, um, children's movies, right, often get really high ratings from critics, like film critics. Uh, they end up not being as well received by their audiences. And so I, I was trying to look this up in other media forms other than gaming, because gaming is so polarized. Um, but you know, everybody's seen, like, kids' movies. So this is a quote mm -hmm. from USA Today. Uh, Perhaps critics' greatest weakness is for children's movies. Critics often identify such films as quality efforts, even though they may not watch them for fun outside the duties of their occupation. Approximately two out of every five films on this list have been made for children for family enjoyment. Critics have given exceptionally favorable reviews to films such as Babe, Ants, we all remember Ants, mm -hmm. <laughs> and yep. The Witches, although none of those particularly resonated with audiences. And, I mean, for me, it's like, you can critique art, and you can critique um, what someone has done and say, like, you don't like it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's good or bad, or your opinion is reflective of the rest of the population. And so, like, one thing that I one thing that I'm thinking about right now is I don't think being a, being someone who's involved in like gaming culture, I don't think that most men like white cis men fall into uh, the gamer gate um, population of like, I want to find women who are making games and attack them. But there are a small vocal minority that are making it um, really not fun <laughs> for women yeah. to participate in gaming and not just women, but like um, black and brown people, um, LGBTQ people, like people who are not don't fit into that like white cisgender mold. So I don't know. I just I feel like that's it's really hard as a woman to see yourself in games because traditionally and like maybe tabby you can speak to this but traditionally games have been made by men who are white for men who are white yeah um i would definitely agree same i kind of i've been playing video games for as long as i can remember um and i guess within the last decade it's probably started to change a little bit but it was not prominent like when I'm thinking about games I've played where I feel represented by the female lead, there's not that many out there. Like I, I'll go straight mm -hmm. to Mass Effect one because I'm a huge Mass Effect fan, but two, like Shepard was the first female character that I found where you know she wasn't crazy sexualized. Um, she her armor was full armor, 
which yeah. anyone anyone who's yeah. played a female character in any <laughs> video game knows this issue because you play and you get like these skimpy bikini things that <laughs> the guys don't have, like they're full-fledged armor. So that was one of the first games that I played where I was like, this is really great. Like I could see myself being represented in this game because everything is about her being a strong female lead, not about being a female eye candy thing. Like you could tell that there was women who had probably put their perspective into the development of the character versus the ones that were developed by men. Um, And you don't see that very often, probably a little bit more now, but again, especially going back, like it just, it wasn't common. I mean, you're right. As, as a female growing up, uh, playing video games, I also did not see myself represented as, like, the hero or the protagonist most of the time. So, like, my big game growing up um, was, like, Legend of Zelda. And, like, even though Link is, like, a very pretty boy, (laughs) he's not a girl, and Zelda, the whole game title is The Legend of Zelda, but the game is about Link. It's about this boy going to save the princess. And until very recently, uh, Zelda was kind of just, like, off in a tower and needed to be rescued. Um, and so there wasn't really, I couldn't really see myself as the hero. I could see, you know, I could probably like, I had to do some like mind bending to like, be like, oh yeah, like I'm Link. But um, it it's hard because re- I think representation really matters. Um, and even within that game, you know, you, you look at who are the heroes and who are the villains, right? So we have like the, a lot of the villain, like the main villain is like ganon or ganondorf depending on the game that you're playing who presents as a middle eastern man right who's like very angry in Mm. most of the iterations or he presents as like um a a creature but his his human form is is gerudo which is basically like middle eastern people and they're typecast as thieves and like these the secretive like society of like vaguely middle eastern people with like they have huge noses and it's it's very i i've been thinking about this recently because it's something that like i never really thought about as a kid but by and large a lot of the games that we play the main characters that are seen as like good and and wholesome and like the heroes are like white people even in the games that like have introduced women into the fold like i'm a huge fan of elder scrolls so like when you talk about uh, like Skyrim is like my favorite game of all time. Um, and you can make yourself a woman character and you can make yourself in Skyrim like a a Nord, which is, uh, you know, basically a, a Nordic type person. Um, but then you think about like the other races in the game and they're called races. And most of the ones that are not white are like evil. <laughs> Like, even, like, the elves are, like, not white, but they're evil. Um, And I think as a kid growing up and, like, not really realizing, but just playing these games as stories, you internalize that. as like, people Mm -hmm. who don't look like me are bad. And people who look like me are the heroes. So, I don't know. What do you guys think about that? I I completely agree. Um, And it's... My my observation has been been very much the same. You know, I think of... Like, my favorite game is... um, uh, the Witcher Three, and I mean that is a uh, a very whitewashed game. <laughs> um, yeah. The 
I mean, all of the main cast are all white. The main character is pale white with white hair. Um, like, uh, so, and I, and I wonder, you know, I, with, with a game like The Witcher 3 and, and, and a production studio like CD Projekt Red, um, and I think by and large, there isn't necessarily malicious intent, you know, and, and a lot of our conversations here is pointing out the fact that most of these um, issues are not ca- caused by malicious intent, but because society has evolved in such a way that those of us who don't have malicious intent haven't done enough to stem the um, the evolution of society to be harmful for those communities who we have quite frankly marginalized. Um, you know, I think of on amongst my favorite video games, not one of them has a main character that isn't like a create your own character, but a main character who, um, is dark skinned, Mm -hmm. black or Brown. Um, I can think of very few games that I've played and and have been lauded as these, you know, groundbreaking games that have that kind of characterization. Um, There are very few games that have uh, a female protagonist, Um, you know, and and someone might push back and say, yeah, what about Tomb Raider? Um, but come on, we all know we all know what Lara Croft was created for. I mean, granted, nowadays in, in the Tomb Raider reboot, she has um, become very desexualized compared to how she was initially uh, created. But like, seriously, <laughs> that's, that's not a good argument. Although nowadays, you know, that's changing. I mean, we've got um, Aloy from Horizon Zero Dawn, uh, which is it's it's in my top ten uh, games, but. I wanted to go back to something that Vicky, you were, you were touching on and it was the thought of the, the vocal, vocal minority and how, you know, you, you're recognizing that, that the vast majority of, um, cisgendered white men or, or cis men in general in, in the gaming community, um, are not as sexist or misogynistic as, Gamergate had kind of um, appeared or or made them out to be. One thing that strikes me though is that, and and I think the parallels then actually I'll, I'll put it this way: the parallels can be drawn to our current political moment, right? Like um, the people who voted for Donald Trump, um, that that was not a majority of the American of the American people. The people who are vocally in support of Donald Trump now are not the majority of American people, but they are loud and they have maneuvered their way into power. And I think that the same can be said for uh, those who are behind Gamergate, that they were loud, even though they were a a minority within the gaming community. Um, They rallied behind this hashtag and they were powerful. Like they stumbled on the internet as a very powerful weapon to threaten the lives of uh, women and others that disagreed with them. Um, the other thing that I was thinking about was the fact that, um, as long as cisgendered men in the gaming community stand by and do nothing, um, the hatred will continue to build and grow. And as long as, as like early on, uh, 
in during Gamergate and shortly thereafter, as articles were being written to kind of analyze what had happened, there was there was a lot of both sidesing that was going on. It's like, yeah, we see um, that the um, that women are being uh, threatened and attacked, but yeah, it's also important. Like the gamer gators have a point. It's important that there are ethic, the, the you know, ethical practices in in gaming journalism, which really, at the end of the day, is kind of bullshit because we all know what that thing existed for. Um, so yeah, I guess that's my um, that's my soapbox right now. When you say <laughs> ethical, like what are, could you explain to like the audience? Like what yeah. are the ethical? What because to me it sounds like very unethical right now they're they're threatening to bomb and and kill people and their families because they have differing uh, views so so what is the ethical um concern from i guess the the other side right so the the gamer the the whole story surrounding um the stated purpose of ethics in gaming journalism it all started from at least the the exploding the inciting incident um, of uh, Zoe Quinn cheating on her boyfriend with um, Nathan Grayson, the uh, the journalist. Was that um, Zoe Quinn was trying to get a favorable review on Kotaku, so she slept with this um, journalist, this uh, you know Kotaku writer, in order to get that favorable review. So. Um, the people who were behind or using the hashtag Gamergate, um, oddly enough, the hashtag was started by Adam Baldwin. Yeah, that Adam Baldwin. (laughs) Um, so they claimed that, uh, Nathan Grayson was an unethical journalist because, you know, he was willing to, um, trade a favorable review for sex um not like but is that, ignoring does, that, the, does that even have any merit anyway like that claim no it it doesn't the claim doesn't <laughs> have any merit but the reason that it took so like it, it picked up was this blog post that was that was written by um quinn's ex-boyfriend um i think it spoke to something in a lot of men I don't know, like, uh, the, the term incel kind of pops up in my mind. There's this, this fear and anger towards women, um, that see, I want, I want to be a little bit cautious with this because it can be easy to look at that and say, well, no, I don't hate women. I'm not angry at women, but, um, I mean, Vicky, you've listened to, um, to rabbit hole. Yeah. You know how, like, somebody can go from something fairly innocuous to suddenly ending up in um, 8chan. I, I say suddenly, but but over the course of time, being radicalized to that point. So, um, hatred for women in, in the kind of vitriolic statements that were being put out by the Gamer Gators, it doesn't start with that. It starts with jealousy. It starts with sympathizing with a guy who's angry with his ex-girlfriend, um, and and not I mean there's no there's no alternative like voice in your head it's just I I'm getting stories and information that sort of just lean that that push me further into radicalization yeah right yeah yeah well and 
sorry to interrupt. Um, no. No, I would say it. too, a major part of it, um, from at least from my perspective, because I was watching a lot of this. I was on Twitter when it happened. I was working in the video game industry at the time. Um, so a lot of it too was there was still, especially at that time, a huge belief that video games um, and video game development belonged to men. Right. So right off the bat, yeah. if you were a woman who was involved in gaming, if you were a woman who was involved in development, you were encroaching on a space you weren't supposed to be in. And even though it wasn't anything, like you said, like it's the same with it starts off small. It wasn't that they were outwardly saying um, that they disliked women, but it was kind of that general underlying belief that women should not have been involved. And so especially um, with the situation with Zoe Quinn, first off, she was a video game developer who was daring to put out a game. She got favorable reviews, which was a big no-no because now, well, why is this person being given attention that shouldn't be given attention? She's taking this away from us for those men. And then you had the slighted ex-boyfriend who had this idea that this had been sex traded for a positive review. So now not only did you have a woman who was somewhere she shouldn't be, you had a woman who was someone she shouldn't be that was throwing a man under the bus and utilizing another man to get there. And so this whole kind of thing spun out from this idea. Um, and like you said, like it wasn't overt sexism for a lot of men, but they related to it. They felt like something was being taken away from them. And then there was this added slight to it that just made it so much worse. And that's why I think more people jumped on than maybe would have if they understood what was actually going on in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. And this, the format of that game was so different than... Um, a lot of the games that we know and are like very, very popular because I think it was sort of like, a, um, like almost like a choose your own adventure story. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very b- basic. Um, and to get so much attention for a game that, you know, doesn't have a very high production value in, in general, like regardless of gender, is kind of um, surprising. So, for it to be a woman, for it to have this additional, um, you know, quote unquote scandal associated with it. Although I don't think there's any merit to the actual scandal. And I think that that came out later that the scandal was like kind of uh, fabricated. Um, yeah. <laughs> to a certain extent. Also, people can do with their bodies whatever they want, regardless of gender. Um, that I mean, you want to police other people's bodies like and you're, you're a listener. <laughs> I, we we have th- other episodes about that. Yeah, th- this this may not be the best episode for you. We'll we'll direct you somewhere else. But I mean, <laughs> it's it's crazy to me to think that like such a small game like that got like a little bit of attention caused such an uproar. But it, it I think it does go back to what you said, T- Tabby. That um, it's it's not about the game, and it's not about mm-hmm. it's not even really about the person who made the game. Um, and their ability to create a good game or a bad game. It's about the fact that um, a woman was in a space that she should not have been in, and she it appeared to have used men to get to that space, which is, like, horrible in their mind. Um, and this is very similar to, Nate, what you were saying about um, the alt-right, because a lot of conservative politics and... Um, a lot of a lot of conservative beliefs center around the you belong in your like stay in your lane. You mm-hmm. you can do this one thing and I can do this thing, but if you're a woman, you belong at home. 
to take care of the family. You should be a homemaker. Um, if you're a man, you should be, you know, the, the the patriarch of the family. And as a woman, your job is to, you know, take care of the children. As a man, your job is to take care of your wife. Um, and in gaming, it's similar, right? As a, as a man, um, you can be a developer, you can be a gamer, but like there is no space for women in the vast majority of mainstream gaming outside of games like you know, The Sims, which I have seen <laughs> as like every time I love The Sims, by the way, but yeah. I've always been like every time I talk about how much I love The Sims, people who are like true hardcore gamers, like men in particular, are like, oh, well, that's it's a it's a girl's game. It's the only game where you can like completely custom. It was like the first game where you completely customize your character that at least that I knew of where you could make your character look as um you know, have the same skin color, have the same hair color, have the same hair type, have the same, wear the same clothes that you wear and like live out the life that you want. But that's seen as like girly because I don't know, maybe it, it, people see it as, I, I don't, well, par- I think part of that could be that there was that at the time and even now there's this dearth of female lead characters in mainstream games. So the games that have a create your own character situation, there's a reason that, that women flock to those kinds of games as opposed to the mainstream ones, because they can go ahead and create a character that represents them. Yeah. And there's no like (sighs) instruction manual to like being a gamer. Like I, when I was growing up, there used to be like, when you would buy the game, there was like a little book that had like instructions and it was like, press start to like turn on the blah, blah, blah. blah. And it was like, this, (laughs) these are your controls. This is the story that that doesn't happen anymore. So like you could go online and read, but if, if you're like, let's say you're um, a woman and you're an adult woman and you want to get into gaming now, (laughs) there's no path for you to really do it other than going to these like websites these forums and learning more where you're not necessarily welcome so of course women are going to if they're not that familiar in gaming be either casual gamers like uh, quote-unquote like filthy casual gamers or (laughs) yeah which is something that i've been called before and i just think it's hilarious or um yes the skyrim fan right is a is a filthy casual right or um you know going to games that are like quote unquote like really really simple phone games because it's like there's I can't I I can't learn World of Warcraft. I don't know what that is. I'm just going to play Candy Crush cuz I have 15 minutes and I have to go take care of my kids or I have to go like go to work and there's no avenue to like welcome women whereas I feel like for men yeah. it's like the whole thing is like welcome like this is for you. So, I don't know. It's my soapbox. It's worth noting too that like if you have a male gamer who expresses interest in The Sims or some of the fluffier games, it never includes a write-off of them as a gamer. You won't yes. hear someone mm, yeah. say to a male who likes that stuff, oh, well, you're not a real gamer if you play The Sims. And I've known <laughs> a few guys like this, whereas it's almost like they're looking for reasons to disqualify a woman from being a gamer. Um, yeah. And just a little kind of anecdote for that. So when I worked at the video game store, I would have people who would come in, always men, who would be looking for help. And if I tried to help them, I would get comments like, oh, sweetie, The Sims isn't a video game that doesn't make you a gamer. <laughs> and my response was always like, cool, I've I've never even played The Sims. Like, I couldn't tell you how to play The Sims even if you asked because I've never played it. But that assumption was always there. Yeah. And any girls who tried to play The Sims or who picked up a game like that would automatically be written off by many of the men who came in as not real gamers. 
because of that. And yet I'd watch guys pick up the game all the time and there was no kind of connection there. So I think it does come back down to, um, like you were saying, there's that, there's not that really avenue there for girls because they want reasons to say that women aren't really serious about gaming. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing I wanted to ask you, Tabby, because Nate had told me before you hopped on was that you both worked at like a, a video game store. Um, now I applied and got an interview when I was in college to work at GameStop and the experience was so terrible and so horrible that every time I go in an interview now to this day, and I am like a professional lady, like I have a real person job. I, I pay rent. Like I'm a, I'm a good, you know, functioning member of the economy. But every time I go into an interview now for a new job, I can't help but think about the way the questions that this man asked me in GameStop. He brought me in. So first of all, GameStop is just a video game store, but there's always like a back room, like a like a room where there's like a table. I guess it's like a break room or whatever. So he brought me into this room, um, did not shake my hand, did not tell me to take a seat. He just watched me. Right. And then he shut the door, which was like very scary. Um, and so then I was like, oh, can I sit down? And he was like, sure. Like no emotion. I sat down and he began to ask me questions about myself, like what I, you know, what I was in college, like what what am I majoring in, which I was like, okay, normal, whatever. Did I have any other positions prior to this? Normal. Then he started to ask me like what my favorite game was and why and proceeded to critique every aspect of why that game like that I thought w- was my favorite game, which was uh, Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. He proceeded to critique the reasons that I (laughs) liked the game and told me that um, they were dumb. He told me that I needed to make more eye contact with him. Um, He told me at the interview table that I would not be hired halfway through the interview and then made me continue the interview until the end. Um, And the whole time I was like, this is like the worst experience of my life. why is this happening? And only now am I re- realizing it's like a power trip. Like how many other girls that look like me did he bring in that like also like video games just to play with them, knowing full well before the interview started that he was like not going to hire them. So I I just want to hear about your experience <laughs> at a video game store because I, I couldn't even get in. So yeah, it. <laughs> It was a real mixed bag, to be honest. Um, I fluked out. The store manager at the time when I was hired was someone I had known for a very long time. So he brought me in automatically as an unofficial management position. I was hired as key holder, but he kind of had me as like a secondary um, assistant store manager. Um, And the assistant store manager was a friend from high school who was a huge geek who I'd grown up with as well. So he and I knew each other. But we had issues when the store manager left, I was thrust into the store manager position without getting the title. Um, And we had found out in other situations, uh, whenever it was guys, they were given the role and the support. I wasn't. I was used as the person to be thrown under the bus while being required to be the person to run the store. Um, Expected to do things that the store manager had never done. I was working 72 hours a week getting paid for 30 Wow. Um, And when I asked about it, I was told that if I showed on the clock at all that I was there a minute over 30 hours, I would receive discipline, but I was still required to be there. They had never said this to any of the male workers. Uh, And eventually I applied for the position of store manager when it opened. I was refused. I was told that women can't be trusted as store managers because they don't understand the industry. 
Meanwhile, at the time, I was the most advanced knowledge person of the industry working there. Um, And I was offered an assistant management position in a town two hours away and told that if I didn't pick up and uproot my life that I couldn't afford to move because I was making minimum wage, I wasn't serious about management and the video game industry and it just proved I was another flaky girl. Yikes. Yeah. So, and it was, I was replaced by someone who was very nasty. Um, My first experience with him was an inventory where the entire night he kept walking around telling me I should be fired, that I should be blamed for everything that was wrong with the store, calling me incompetent, things that you would never expect would ever be possible or appropriate. But because I was a woman, he was able to walk around saying that to me till 3 a.m. Um, So that was my experience from that end of things. And it really soured my wanting to be there. Um, There were other things too. Like I had stalkers because apparently being a female interested in video games meant that if I was nice to a guy, (laughs) I was therefore their soulmate and had to be. Yes. And I mean, it was my job to be nice to them. I was a salesperson trying to make a sale. But like I had one guy, we actually had to call the police and ban from the store um, because he was insistent that I needed to sleep with him to prove that I wasn't going to marry my fiance. We had another guy who would come to the store and follow me around. And then there was a whole bunch of people who would regularly just write me off. I was a woman, so I couldn't talk to them about games. And they would walk in the store and say, I refuse to speak to her. I want a man. Oh, so Meanwhile. it was, and this was actually all around the time when Gamergate, this was 2012. So when everything started with Anita Sarkeesian, and this was part of why I was so aware of what was going on because I was seeing it on a smaller scale within the store that I worked in. So I was very hyper aware of that whole situation as it was starting. Wow. Tabby, you've told a story um, in the past about Mass Effect, right? And and stuff that you had to deal with. I mean, we, we have similar um, sort of stories, um, but because I'm a guy, it, it doesn't... Um, it's it's kind of meaningless. The assumptions aren't there. Um, but but for you, that, that looked completely different, right? Yeah. Yeah, so that Mass Effect story that you're referring to... Um, so again, I was working at the video game store and someone came in asking about Mass Effect. So I went to go over and talk to them because I was the one. And the guy's like, well, no, I want to talk to a guy because you won't know anything about it. So I said, <laughs> okay. And I walked away. And he walked up to the assistant manager and asked about it. And the assistant manager goes, well, the only one who plays Mass Effect and is our in-house resident expert is the girl that you just said you don't want to talk to. And the guy <laughs> turned around to talk to me again. And I just looked at him and I said, I'm going on break. <laughs> and I walked out Good and I mean, we got in trouble for not getting the sale, but I said like, I'm not going to cater to someone who's that quick to write me off as a woman in it. And the experience wouldn't have gone well anyways. Like this just, it's kind of like the one thing that I remember the most about that. And probably why Nate heard the story is because like, that was the big indicator to me of how people viewed me as a woman in that store. Yeah. Yeah. Nate, could you talk about your experience working at a GameStop? Yeah. um, Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't a horrific experience. I mean, like I knew it was a shitty company. I could tell, um, (laughs) right from, from the get go, but I was, um, working part time at a church and needed to pick up something else on the side. So, um, a friend of mine hired me, um, to work in a similar, uh, similar vein to, to your story as a, as a key holder. Uh, eventually, 
she was let go and, you know, I moved up the chain assistant store manager. And then the, the store itself was shut down because there were three game stops at that mall. So why have three game stops in one shopping mall? So, um, our store got shut down and then I was offered a store, but by then, um, I, I had gotten a job offer elsewhere, but having said all that, um, my experience was, um, relatively, as far as shitty companies go, it wasn't up there, um, as like the worst experience I've had, um, in, um, in my career, but I could see it. Um, I had colleagues, even though my store didn't have any women, uh, working there. Um, some of the other game stops at, at our mall had women there and in our district, um, there were women, uh, that I would, we, you know, our, our district was kind of tight knit. We were all within about a 10, 15 minute drive of, of each other. So we would all hang out, get together. Um, and things that I would hear from my colleagues from other stores that I, I kind of was disbelieving at first, but you know, when you, when you meet customers in, in, in the video game world, it makes sense. Like those stories make sense, you know, and, and the stuff that you've told Tabby are, are things that I'm absolutely positive are happening across the board. Like these are, th this is not a, an isolated incident. You know, these are things that happen to women in every space. I mean, that's just a blatantly obvious one, but um, one thing that I wanted to, to go into as well, Vox published an article this year kind of analyzing Gamergate and its cultural impact and the lessons that we should have learned and didn't, um, and how that eventually spread into the larger political discourse of this country and how society here has begun to function. Back in 2012, um, Anita Sarkeesian was supposed to give a lecture at, at some college, and uh, it was canceled because of a mass shooting threat. Somebody was going to shoot the place up because of her appearance there. You know, the the the, the Santa Barbara shooting in 2014 um, and his online manifesto was deeply misogynistic. The fact that we haven't even kind of learned that lesson, like, that these are predictors when, when people have these very violent, I mean, just recently, um, the honorable, um, Esther Salas's son who was murdered and her husband who was shot, that guy was targeting her and his own manifesto was deeply sexist, deeply misogynistic, and also deeply racist. They're all predictors of violence. And yet we still haven't figured this out. Um, so the, the Vox article says years after game Gamergate, Despite increasing evidence suggesting a connection between online violence against women and real-world violence, including mass shootings, many corporations and social media platforms still struggle to identify and eradicate extreme forms of violence against women from online spaces. Progressing further from that, the kind of language that exists in these online spaces um, under the, the protective banner of free speech those things aren't taken seriously. Like politicians, the larger media world um, overall, you know, the, the, these misogynistic manifestos and writings and comments and threats, the, when, when people get caught saying stuff like that, they always come back with, Oh, I'm just trolling. Oh, I'm just, you know, it's I'm ironic. It's, you know, it's a joke. Yeah. Can't you take a joke? 
But it's yeah. not, it's honestly, if you are being threatened and there are people who have had these threats um, come to fruition against them, it's not funny. And I'm not, no. it's not that I don't have a sense of humor. I love to laugh. I love to make jokes and I love to have a good time. Uh, but if you are threatening to kill someone, that's not fucking funny. I'm sorry. No. It's it's not funny. It's not funny um, in any context. It's not funny to hurt someone. It's just not. And I used to be a teacher. I used to work with little boys and, and little girls. But by and large, the gamers were the boys. And they would repeat things that they hear in these, um, you know, in their Discord chats or in, in YouTube videos or if they're playing online, like playing Call of Duty, they hear things over the microphone from other people playing online with them and they repeat it in class and i'm like hey i'm a gamer i i love video games what you're saying is not okay and until you get that that oppositional voice of like i'm i'm here i'm one of you like we are in the same camp but that's not that's not the way to do it like then you're going to continue um just repeating what you hear because it's normalized it becomes normalized and the violence in, in la violent language leads to violent actions, which is, I think is the point that you're trying to make, Nate. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And that was a thing that um, was brought up as well um, in, in this in this article. They, uh, they talked about how um, the Wall Street Journal acknowledged back in 2019 in response to the mass shooting in Christchurch. Um, they said, quote, it's hard to spot the terrorists among the trolls. Mm -hmm. I think... As a society, we need to learn how. And we we also need to take trolling seriously. Like, when you say something like, it's hard to spot the terrorist amongst the trolls, and then this guy goes and, and uh, on a mass shooting spree, and then you, you find out later on, like, how many times have we seen a mass shooting happen? And then after the fact... We we go and and take a look at his his Facebook profile or his uh um you know whatever online social media platforms he has full of alt right internet memes um and yeah. and extremely nationalistic racist rhetoric misogynistic language written throughout these statements and and we always act surprised that oh my god I can't believe this you know another mass shooting there's a problem. And we're not taking the time to, to study it, to learn how to deal with it. There need to be consequences for these kinds. I'm not arguing that we, that we shut it down. I'm not like, uh, yes, I understand the importance of free speech, but I'm, I'm also not a free speech fundamentalist. So yeah, there's that. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, we, we live right outside San Francisco. We were in San Francisco yesterday. Um, there was a huge protest, um, about free speech in front of the Twitter building that like the Twitter headquarters. And um, there's a difference between free speech and violence. Right. Yeah. So if you want to, if you want to say like, I don't agree with you, that's your right. If you want to say yeah. um, what you think is wrong, here's why that's your right in this country, in America, in the U S right. So, so if you want to say like, this is my opinion and back it up with facts and evidence in the United States. Like you can do that. But when you start saying, don't take away my free speech or I'm going to kill you, what you're basically saying is I can do and say whatever I want because I'm a goddamn American. And if you're going to try and stop me, that means you're the enemy and you're not American. But free speech does not give people 
the legal license to be violent against other Americans and take away their rights. It doesn't apply just to the right-wing um, trolls on the internet that are talking about Trump and politics and guns and whatever. It applies to everyone in every mm -hmm. situation. You know, I think the golden rule is a great rule to live by. Like, do unto others as they want to do unto you. Sorry, just to jump in here. Oh. I think... Yeah. Um, Looking at it, both of what you are saying right now kind of ties back into something you mentioned earlier, Nate, which was about the fact that a lot of people don't start off with these um, overt beliefs. And I think it really comes down to a lot of radicalization on these online communities um, and targeting to people who have low self-esteem or in the case of incels, you know, they're, they're concerned because they they don't start off as incels as well. And all of those groups kind of tie together. Like they're, they're people who feel discouraged because they're, they're not getting the girl or just because they've been having other issues in life, especially when they're younger. And so you've got, like you were saying with your students um, who start to repeat these things, they make these connections with um, other males online that make them feel welcome, that make them feel like they're understood. And then those beliefs start to seep in. And again, right. I think that's part of why we know that it's not the overwhelming number of white men who, or, and men in general who believe this. But I think part of the problem is that there's such a huge divide and there's that huge group of men in the middle who are not a part of that, who don't know what to do when they see this happening and they feel too uncomfortable to stand up. Yeah. Because this other side in the alt-right and the Gamergate community, both of them tie in where if you criticize anything that they're doing, if you put a different belief, you're an enemy. And therefore, mm -hmm. if someone is to speak up who's moderate, they become an enemy. There, there's no option for them to stand up without repercussions for themselves. And it's a matter of having that bravery to do that because we let the loudest get away with what they want to do. Yeah. Most people do, like we were talking about earlier, most things don't start with malicious intent. But the alt-right um, is very good at convincing people that any type of criticism, anything that reveals where something may be unintentionally harmful, is automatically painting that person as bad. So yeah. like in the case of Zelda or things like that where we talk about... Um, the games weren't necessarily made with malicious intent to be harmful to women or be harmful to that. If you point out that those ideas were harmful, the alt-right would have you believe that you're saying the creators were purposely seeking to harm people. Yeah. And that yeah. whole idea generates because now there's people who resonated with Zelda, who the game, not the woman at the moment, but who resonated <laughs> with it, who are now being told, well, because we liked it and because these this representation wasn't there. We're also bad people. And that's how they, they bring people in and then start yeah. to slowly convince them violent is okay because these other people, they're not really like, there's no humanity there. It's the, they yeah. strip the humanity of the side that's fighting for justice in order to make it look like we're maliciously harming them. It's a whole yeah. paint the people who want better as seeking the harm. And the only way to stop it is for these people in the center to start standing up and being willing to be painted as the enemy. Because if more people are painted as the enemy in that case, like it's not going to actually become the enemy anymore. If people are standing right. up, then we just get that vocal few who are really bad, yeah. really just be noisemakers like who nobody cares are. about because they're understanding exactly. they're wrong. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think that's that's kind of the key to sort of understanding the progression of this movement into 
the the larger world is that well not the key sorry one of the things that i think it's important to to take into account is that these fringe groups generate their following by obfuscating the truth like you were just saying tabby um and I think it's important to take the lessons that we've learned from Gamergate and apply it to larger political discourse where it has much more of an effect on our day-to-day lives. Um, though in Gamergate, for, the, tar- for the, the targets of that harassment, it does have a, a huge effect on their day-to-day lives. So I don't want to want to discount that, but uh, on society at large is what I'm, I guess I'm trying to say. Um, I hope we've begun to draw a pretty clear line between what had happened in Gamergate to the rise of the alt-right and its support for Donald Trump and its takeover of the Republican Party. And in addition to all of that, I also want to draw um, our attention to support spaces. So since this this episode has been um, heavily focused on the gaming conversation, um, I do want to point to, since we were talking about Anita Sarkeesian, um, she and her group at Feminist Frequency have developed um, something called the Games and Online Harassment Hotline that launched this summer or fall. Um, And so I want to point your attention to it. If you're a gamer, you're listening to this episode, and you've been uh, victimized by uh, people out in in the gaming community, check out gameshotline.org. I'll say that one more time, gameshotline.org. Um, so if you're a gamer and you need support, um, if you've been harassed or threatened online, um, definitely go there. We're not getting any kickbacks from from Feminist Frequency here. They don't even know that we're talking about them. But um, I think this is something important because people are being victimized um, in the gaming world. And um, I want to do provide some, some resources. Um, folks, we have really hit our uh, our time window now we've blown past it but i want to um say thank you tabby for joining us um and uh for those of you looking for uh more of ner- more nerdy conversations uh definitely look out for nerd alert which should be available um on your favorite podcasting app uh, by the time this episode goes live so yeah i think that that does it for today's episode um please spread the word about our show rate and review us on itunes check us out on social media we're at don't repeat this podcast on facebook and instagram um at don't repeat pod on twitter and you can send long-form feedback to don't repeat this pod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. On behalf of my co-hosts, Gail and Vicky, and today, Tabby, I'm Nate, and this has been Don't Repeat This. So, I don't know, maybe don't repeat this stuff at the dinner table? <laughs>